Um, if you've got your Bibles, you can open them. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 this morning, and we'll read that passage in a few minutes here. But um, what I want to talk to you this morning, uh, I've entitled this thing, if you, if you kind of like titles, and if you're writing notes, you can pop this right at the very top. I've entitled this message, Who Cares? Because the bottom line is that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about who cares. Um, how many of you have ever been in a, a car with me? Yeah, God bless you. There's ministry teams afterwards. Uh, I'd love to, love to pray for you. But I, um, I, I've come to realize that, um, that I care about myself greatly. All the time. And, um, and that's marked usually when I'm in the car. The, I am so concerned by myself, by what everyone else is doing wrong. The state of the roads in this city are a nightmare. Potholes, I mean, it's getting no amens here. Preach it. No? You guys are all happy with the state of the roads in the sea? All right. But I, I recognize this thing in me that comes up where I'm just like, I am so interested in me, what I am concerned with, what's inconveniencing me. I care about me. And so really at the beginning of the year, the Lord began to challenge that in me. So I thought I would kind of share some of the stuff that I've been finding uh, in this whole journey of the Lord challenging me. It's not really all about me. Right? Turns best next year. It's not really all about you. Right? But I want to ask the question who cares? Let me make this statement to you. What I value is what I care about. And what I care about shapes my decision making. Let me say that one more time. What I value is what I care about. And what I care about shapes my decision making. Right? That's a statement. In fact, let's do this fun thing for us. I'm going to just post this here. So I'm just going to put something of value here on the, on the front. I'm just going to stick it on there. And that's just something of value. And at any point, I'm going to carry on talking. But just at any point, if you need something of value, there it is. And in fact, let me just say this. If, um, if you need something of greater value, just feel free. Um, but I'm going to keep talking. We're going to keep going with church. Uh, nothing to be worried about or distracted about. But if you need something valuable, if you need something of greater value, feel free. So I'm convinced that whatever we value is what we care about, right? So we find in life that we're kind of mosey on through life. We have a set of values. We interact with people. We interact with situations. And in those interactions, we discover that we, that we value certain things. And in that value, we make some element of a, uh, of a connection to that value. And we just begin to care about that thing. We, we care about it. And then in the context of us really caring about something, it forms and shapes how we, how we approach, how we interact, the decisions around that thing, that person, that situation that we care about. Just to remind you again, if, if you need genuine, if you need anything of value or of greater value, maybe this morning even like you need something financial. Let me just, let me just frame this whole thing. The thing that's of value is financial and the thing that's of greater value is, so just genuinely feel free. If you need something of value, or you need something of greater value, literally feel free. So again, what we value is what we care about. And what we care about shapes our decision making. And you're all sat there, and I've said at any point and any time, if you, if you, if you want something of, of value, monetary, like here's something of value. Hey, Dan. And there's something of greater value. So Dan took, took, took me up. There's still something of value here, which I guess, remember, I'm just going to keep talking, but at any point, Dan, what's in your envelope? Um, I was hoping it would be greater value. 
It's a five pound note. All right, it's pretty good. Feel free. All right, here we go. Late to the party, but that's all right. Have something of value. What have you got in there, my friend? Take your time. We, we have a few minutes. <laughs> a pound coin. Congrats, you're well done. Yeah, you're all giving a round of applause. It literally took four or five minutes. Now let's break down what actually happened there. I placed something of value and something of greater value in a little bit more of an obscure place. And I said at any point, at any time, if you need something of value, feel free. I then helped you by creating a context where that value, I said, look, it's financial value. How many of you, when I said, look, I'm placing something of value here, I'm placing something of greater value there, and at any point in time, if you need something of value, come, come grab it, it's absolutely fine. How many of you thought, well, he doesn't actually mean go and get it. Anybody? All right, so moving forward, how many of you at the point where I was like, oh, it's financial value, and then financially it's, it's greater value, you thought, all right, and then there's the invitation to, if you need that, just come, come get it. How many of you thought, well, I, I could do, but I'm going to break every social rule. Like this is, he knows it's church, right? We sit in a seat, we don't move. We certainly don't look like we're enjoying ourselves. We sit, we don't do anything. We don't move, we don't, we certainly don't come out onto the stage. And then like, how many of you thought that's surely not what he's asking us to do? How many of you like your social anxieties began to like, as people began to like move, from, someone moving from a seat, they're coming out to the front, they're coming on stage. This is like, he's either going to assault Phil or he's actually going to go grab that thing. How many of you thought this is like, this is breaking all social boundaries? But inside you're kind of like, oh, I kind of wish I'd done that. Anybody? Right? I know it was only a fiver, but you didn't know how much is in there. My point is this, is that when we discover there are things of value, whether it be small value or greater value, it, it, it can move us beyond a place of awkwardness. It can, it can move us beyond, depending on how, how much value, like if I'd said to you, there's 100 pounds in there, come get it as and when you want. Like all of you would have moved pretty quick, right? There was a sense where, and again, I love our church community because we're full of introverts. How many of you are introverts? I love our church community because you come along to a, I mean, that's the hilarious thing I just asked. Uh, how many of you are introverts? How many of you guys are introverts? <laughs> I'm thinking it <laughs> inside deeply. But I love our community of interest because you come along to a, to a, a loud room and, and where we're, a, 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 you know, a, a um, charismatic church full of excited, exuberant people. And you, we, we love our church, but we're full of introverts. And I love that about our community, that we would go after God wholeheartedly and yet, like, also... <laughs> We'd rather be at home in a house church, right? That's when we're all being honest with us. We'd like to be in a house church. But here's the thing. Like, when we were thinking about that, it took us an opportunity to choose if we truly knew what a value or even a greater value was to move past some things in order to go, well, I'm just going to go, I'm going I'm to shape my decision making, I'm going to shape my actions to actually go and take what I know to be valuable. And for most of you, you chose to come into agreement with your introvertedness and your ability to hold on to social cues, which is everyone else is sitting down, I'm not moving. Like, and you, most, for all of you, except for two people, you chose to, you chose to sit. 
and you chose to not come and get what was valuable, because really you didn't know that it was that valuable, you didn't know whether it was worth caring about, caring enough to move out of your seat. Because what we value is what we care about, and what we care about shapes how we approach that thing. Close your eyes for a second. I want you to do a very brief life audit. I want to ask you three questions. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? And what takes up your thoughts? Just take 10 seconds. Where do you spend most of your time? Where do you spend most of your money? What takes up most of your thoughts and your thinking? See, as those things begin to just pop up in your mind, what you're doing is you're attributing value and you're attributing what you really care about. Because what you spend, you can open your eyes now, you genuinely will fall asleep. What you, what you, what you um, give over your time, your energy and your thoughts to, what you give the resource of your life to, is, is really what you care about. Um, how many of you have heard of something called donor fatigue? Anybody? I was fascinated by this. It, it popped up into my world um, just as I was reading lots of reports about the various different um, travesties and things that have been going on in the US, in particular in terms of the hurricanes. And there was a, an article that I read, a guy interviewing um, the, one of the directors of World Vision. And he was talking about the reality of, of donor fatigue. And the reality that confronted with great need in consecutive um, occasions and, and being overwhelmed by need actually causes people to shut down and, and the, it causes people to have an inability to, to care for what they see as a travesty or, a, or, or, or something serious that's in front of them. It's called donor fatigue. Anyway, I found, found this um, thing fascinating. This is what the article said. So the charity World Vision International is a major provider of disaster relief across the globe. So when Hurricane Harvey hit Texas, the group's office in the United States revved up its fundraising. And this is what Drew Clark said, um, who's a senior director of emergency um, for World Vision. He said, we received just under four million US dollars in cash donations after Hurricane Harvey hit. Two weeks later, Hurricane Irma came through the Caribbean and Florida. This time, World Vision brought in 900,000. Then, a short time after that, there was the huge earthquake in Mexico, which killed more than 340 people. Uh, and fundraising appeal for that situation in the US netted 150,000. Very shortly after that, again, in the spate of hurricanes, there was Hurricane uh, Maria which left um, around 3.4 million U.S. citizens in Puerto Rico um, without food, power, um, and clean water. Now, World Vision, in response to that situation, took $100,000. So you can see what's happening in this, in this uh, narrative of extreme need which comes our way, things that actually we would all say and, and, and we would all agree with, we deeply care about the, the impact and, and situation that's going on when there's a hurricane or, or a disaster that happens. We deeply care, but there is, a, there is a, a real reality that in the midst of overwhelming need, our ability to respond to that need begins to diminish as we get more and more overwhelmed with the size and nature and the consistency of that need as it comes our way. Now, I don't think that um, donor fatigue is a... It, I mean, obviously, donor fatigue is, as I'm talking about it here, is, is circled around our response in a relief nature to, to disasters. But I would say that actually, in our own lives, there's a reality of, of need fatigue 
that every single one of us encounter. That we often, I think, get overwhelmed by the needs around us, not just on the large scale, but often even with the people right in front of us. That actually, if you were to kind of, if you were to journal, no one does this, but if you were to journal over, over the next month, the situations when your neighbours, your friends, pe- people from this community, people, um, people who you work with, actually have a need of you that requires you to take the resource of your life, your time, your energy, your money even. I mean, those, how many of you got kids? Like teenage kids, gosh, that money thing, gosh need all the time. Um, But the reality is if you were to journal that out, you would have a list day in, day out of often kind of more minor areas of need. But then maybe the odd thing would pop up where a relative becomes sick or or there's a a particular travesty that happens in your family and you need to go go and and, and actually travel somewhere and go spend some time. Or, Or maybe it's that you offer to help decorate or maybe somebody's moving and you're like, well, I'll help you move. And, or, or maybe it's maybe it's somebody in our community that has a baby, and you're like, well, we, we get together and there's groups of us that cook food, and like they're all no in in and of themselves, it's no major stress. But when you begin to start to realize what the weight of need that's around us, even in small measure, it's no wonder that actually what we where we find ourselves getting to is is that ultimately. We start caring less. That, that's what I've come to find about myself. Maybe it's just me. I just care less. And there's a nature of overwhelming need, even in, the, even in the, the number of minor things that come my way, that means that I find myself caring less. So with that equation, what I value is what I care about, and what I care about shapes my decision-making. Often I think that s- some things get in the way of that process and derail derail that process to, to me getting to that place where my, the response of my life, the decisions of my life are to meet the need that's in front of me. And many of us often, I think, are, are stunted often in our ability to care about people and to care about situations merely, merely because actually there is a weight and a consistency to the need that's around us. Be that large when we look at issues of homelessness in our city or be that small when it comes to somebody who asks if they can borrow a fiver which incidentally Dan has got a fiver so feel free (laughs) let's look at this passage together Luke 5 17 to 39 it's a story that most of you will be familiar with it says this on one of those days as he was teaching he's talking about Jesus Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judah and from Jerusalem And the power of the Lord is with him to heal. And behold, some men who were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way in to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let down this bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, Your sins have forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this and who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceives their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralysed, I say to you, Rise. 
pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So we have these men, we're presuming they are our friends and they have taken a moment of of care and consideration for their paralysed friend. They would, have, they would have heard of this Jesus who was teaching. Unlike any other teacher in the area, they, they heard that actually one of the things that Jesus did is he prayed for the sick and they were healed. And these friends would have heard stories, reports coming from the towns and villages around and they would have decided in a moment, you know what? If this preacher, if this teacher can heal our friend, then we have to get him there. And so in a moment of care, in a moment of compassion, these men picks up, pick up their paralysed friend on the bed. They walk him for however many, however many miles it took and they, they come to the house where Jesus is and they suddenly realise this house is bursting at the seams. There are people everywhere. There's no way they can get in. So they do the only logical thing. They get up on the roof, begin to start to dig a hole in the tiles and then they lower their paralysed friend down. And Jesus clocks something in this moment. He doesn't just clock a bunch of dust coming down from the ceiling. He clocks four men peering down through a hole at their friends who maybe even for days earlier had been marked with care and compassion to such a degree that they would take their friend to Jesus, dig a hole in a roof, lower this man down. And Jesus looks at them and said, because of your faith, because of your faith, I want to tell you this, that this is an amazing story of of healing and breakthrough and forgiveness of sins and transformation. But let me tell you, that, that story started with a seed of care. The story of faith didn't start when Jesus began to proclaim healing, when Jesus began to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. That that wasn't where the miracle started. The miracle started in four probably men's hearts where a seed of care and compassion was placed. And in that moment where they connected with something of, of care and compassion for their friend, a miracle began to be created. The breakthrough started with somebody caring. Verse 20 says it all. And when he saw their faith, Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Their faith journey began when they decided that because they cared, they would make a journey. That faith journey began when they they cared enough not to give up at the first hurdle. When there was a constraint, there was a challenge that confronted these men. They didn't give up because care and compassion was driving them. That faith journey took them onto the top of a house, them digging through. Like this is not socially acceptable. How many of you have ever had anybody come through your roof? Right? It was as socially as unacceptable as Dan getting up out of his seat and coming grabbing some money on the, off the stage. They moved through their own, their own fears, their own social insecurities, their own sense of well-being and even their own safety to get up on a roof, carve out a hole and drop a man just because they knew, because of their care and concern, that to get their friend to Jesus meant the breakthrough and healing. Let me tell you this, and I want this to be something that we build from as individuals, but build from as a community. What we care about, what we genuinely care about as a community becomes the foundation 
to where faith can grow. Listen, care and compassion is not just something that we're waiting to come flood our hearts with so that we do something. Care and compassion is a seed that we plant in our lives that forms a foundation that faith and miraculous and the supernatural can be built on. That's why care and, and, and being a community and being an individual that says, no, I'm, I'm going to care for the ones around me, for the, the people in my workplace, for the, for the city that is, that, is, uh, that is struggling with poverty, for those people on a Friday night that we go out to as a community and we feed. The reality is we have to begin to care, not because we ought to. It's not some sort of duty-bound obligation, but it's that recognition that actually in caring, we open the door to a faith journey where the miraculous can happen. Where actually it's no longer the natural resource of my life to fix a problem, it's the natural resource of heaven that can come and genuinely fix a problem. Like, I'm sure these men had looked after their friend with physical care. I'm sure they had brought him food. I'm sure they had helped him when he wasn't able to sleep. I'm sure they'd done many things to help because they cared. But activating care to the degree that meant that they 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 would bear the cost themselves, that they would do everything that it took opened up a faith journey, opened up an environment where all of heaven's resources could be poured into this man's life. I know that because I see it in the life of Jesus. Let's run through a few scriptures together. Matthew 9, verse 36 says this. This is talking about Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He cared for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now the context of this verse um, is that Jesus is then going on and what he does after, after he has planted this seed of care and compassion for what he sees in front of him, he gathers the apostles together, he gathers dis- his disciples together and he commissions them and he empowers them to go heal the sick. So Jesus not only saw, he saw a physical need in the natural, he looked out up upon a crowd and in a point where he planted a seed of care and compassion in his life, he responded then to meet the need the, thing, the very thing that he, was, he had care over and he commissioned an army of people into the supernatural to go and respond to that need. Luke seven thirteen, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and he said to her, do not weep. The context of this verse is a, is a woman whose whole livelihood rested and revolved around her son, She was a widow and her very provision in life came from her son and her son had died and Jesus looked at this need and not only did he say, don't weep, he then went on and he healed the son. He brought the son back to life. The compassion, the care that he carried opened up a door for the miraculous, for the kingdom of heaven to break into a dead body and to bring it back to life. Matthew 15, 32 familiar story. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and they've had nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Like we know this story. This is a story where Jesus looks out at a crowd and he starts with a seed of care and compassion for people that have been with him. He has a context for this care and compassion. These guys have been with me for three days. They've not eaten. They're of need of something. 
And then we all know that this, this opens up the door to one of the greatest miracles we read of in the Old Testament, the Old New Testament. That ultimately, as he, as he responds to that care and compassion, he takes a few loaves and a small amount of fish and he opens up heavenly resource of the supernatural, which then goes and feeds the multitudes. Like this is, the, the miracle didn't start. The feeding of the 5,000 didn't start with an order from a crowd. They weren't placing an order at a drive through It was in response to genuine care and genuine concern that moved Jesus he had value for the people and it moved Jesus not to, not to go, okay, well, I, here's my natural self. I can probably feed seven of you and a couple of you with the bits of fish. That would be him presenting his natural self to the need in front of him. But what Jesus did, he responded to this issue of care in his heart. And he said, let this be what brings, what brings the unrivaled, unmatched resource of heaven through my care and into the reality of need. And thousands were fed. Matthew 14, 14, when he went, Jesus again, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Listen, Jesus didn't step off a boat and go, I see a great crowd and lots of them are sick. Let's triage this somehow. Okay, you who are dying, get to you last. You're probably going to die. Those of you with kind of life-threatening wounds, we can probably deal with. He didn't triage the situation. He responded with care and compassion and then invited the full weight of heaven to make itself manifest in the need that was in front of him. I love this because what it helps me see is that when I encounter need, when I encounter something that, that stirs my heart and I engage with care and compassion, I'm not just presenting what I have to the problem. I'm presenting all of what he has to a problem. And that changes lives. It changes cities. It can address systematic poverty. It can address homelessness. It can address many things that are well outside the realms of my ability to solve a problem. Because I plant a seed of care and then through that care, I invite the full weight of the kingdom of heaven to come and show up into and onto that thing that, that is need. So I think Jesus invites us into a, into a context where a radical faith journey, I think this story in Luke invites us into something of a radical faith journey that, that doesn't start around uh, the issue of the express need, but it starts around, do we have compassion and care for people? Like, do we really care about the friends that we live next to? Do we really care about the people that we sit next to in, in, our, in our office? Do we really care about the people in this room? And do we care enough to put ourselves in the way of their need and then allow the extravagant faith journey of seeing the kingdom of heaven move through my life to meet that need. But does it start with care? and Does it start with compassion? Well, maybe for many of us, it starts as many things do with a sense of duty and obligation. 
Listen, there's a duty and obligation are, are far away from care and compassion. Duty and obligation is some external pressure that's being placed on me that causes me to do something. Care and compassion is a seed that I plant in my life that from the inside out begins to motivate how I love the world around me. It's a huge difference. Most of religion is based on how can I, how can as leadership or how can a church or how can we externally motivate you to do something? Care and compassion is a seed that we plant in our lives that we take responsibility to nurture and to grow. I want to finish off this morning by, by highlighting Matthew 25. I feel like there's an exciting journey for us to go on as individuals and as a community around how we nurture and steward what we care about and what we have compassion over. And listen, it's not, for me, and it's not for me to stand here and prescribe that to you. This is your own journey. It's the own lives. It's your own lives and the people you encounter. It's, the own, it's your own situations where well, God calls you to meet a need that might not be the need he's calling me to do. This is not a prescribed thing. This is not you know, the church telling you what to do. It's saying, God, could, could I nurture and cultivate a seed of care about what you care about? And let me help you with this because this is fundamentally how we love Jesus. Matthew 25, and Jesus is talking ultimately about how um, we will be um, uh, assessed, judged for what we do in life, what we will have to give an account for, what we'll have to respond to, the question that, that God will ask of us. In Matthew 25, it says, says this, back end of verse 34. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. For I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Listen, this is a critical issue around what we will be held accountable for, what we will have to give an account for. And it's how we steward the seed of care and compassion in our life that causes us to love really well the people and situations that are in front of us. Did I care enough? And as a result of my care and compassion, did I love really well? That's what Jesus is really interested in. Did I care enough? And did I respond and love really well? And like I said, I, I'm not here to prescribe who or where or what that looks like for you as an individual. I'm acutely aware that, that our lives are a finite resource and we can't do everything. But what's critical for us to walk in is a, is a life where this thing of care and compassion is turned on. And it's more than it's just turned on, it's turned up. Like it's, it's actually one of the noises in our life that is speaking loudest to us. Do you actually care about that person in front of you? What are you compassionate about when it comes to your city? And listen again, this is not about bringing the finite abilities or natural 
things that you have to bring a solution to a need. It's all about how can this seed of compassion and care open up the floodgates of heaven to pour every resource of the kingdom of heaven into what I am called to love that is in front of me. This is the issue for us. Do we care enough? And if we loved really, really well, I want us to turn that thing up in our lives. I want it to be the thing that shouts loudest in our minds when, we, when we're going about our business. That we would care and have compassion and it would move us. That we would realign maybe some of our values. We'd be less self-centered, less self-aware, less bothered about what's comfortable to us. And we would break down some social barriers. We would break down some things that actually mean that there's a cost on my part. Which roof are you going to get on this week and crack open some tiles and lower somebody down so that the kingdom of heaven can break into their life? Do you care enough? Are you going to love really, really well? That's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for us, that we would be a community that owns this thing and loves the one in front of us and loves the city that's in front of us really, really well. Why don't you stand? I'm going to pray.